It's 6 o'clock and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendonca and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Large wildfires continue to char the Golden State, but even small brush fires can be devastating, depending on where they strike. Tonight, the California Report visits the San Joaquin Valley, where a neighborhood in Tulare County is struggling to recover after a fire burned down a lifeline earlier this month. After a brief look at regional news and weather, we'll listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, followed by Bravehearts. This week, Jamal Walker shares his journey and how he became Community Relations Coordinator for the City of Grass Valley. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Crews continue to face increased fire activity as they battle two major wildfires in Northern California. The Dixie Fire burning in Butte and Plumas counties has burned at least eight structures. Cal Fire hasn't said if any of those structures were homes. The fire has burned more than 91,000 acres and remains 15% contained. Meanwhile, the Tamarack Fire in Alpine County has crossed the California-Nevada border. That fire has burned nearly 44,000 acres with no containment at this time. While huge fires are burning across the state, in rural areas, even a small brush fire can be devastating. Valley Public Radio's Mari Balaños brings us the story of an unincorporated community in Tulare County struggling to recover after a fire burned down a lifeline for the community earlier this month. Aziz Hassan walks through the remains of his trailer home and the mini-mart that his family has owned for more than 50 years in Poplar. On July 9th, he says a power line that ran through a tree in between his property and his neighbors sparked. It caught fire on this tree, the first tree. It flamed that up from on top, started going down. Once it hit the floor, then the CVA garage caught on fire. The CVA is the Central Valley Empowerment Alliance. It's a community-based organization that was supposed to hold a youth vaccination event that day, according to Executive Director Marie Perez Ruiz. No kids were injured, but the supplies intended for them were destroyed. We expected over 400 students to come from all over the area, and we had backpacks filled with supplies, lunch boxes. Uh, we had over $100,000 of clothing from Forever 21. While the CVA's garage caught on fire, the only structural damage was on the roof. Still, she says the items inside the garage, including six quinceanera dresses, canned food, and school supplies, are unsalvageable. And I, I recognize that even in the midst of all of this, we are one of the luckier ones. Others weren't so lucky. The Porterville Fire Department said the cause of the blaze is still under investigation. What residents know for sure is that within 30 minutes, the fire had destroyed two trailer homes and damaged another house. It also burned Adams Market, the mini-mart that was home to four immigrant-owned businesses. They were the lifeline for people living in the community and surrounding areas. People come from far to shop, to uh, cash their checks, um, to get their hair done, to transfer monies to their um, families. Families living in Mexico, Central America, and Yemen. She says most residents in Poplar are undocumented and low-income. Now, the only business left in their community is another small grocery store. 
Even though we are in the Central Valley, we provide food for the world. We find ourselves in a food desert. And when one of our two grocery stores, the oldest one in town, becomes ashes, it has an impact that is beyond popular. Cesar Leonel Cruz Chavez, who rented a room next door to Adams Market, needs to find immediate housing. Right now, we're not sleeping there. We're sleeping in our cars. Chavez says he works the night shift at a dairy farm three minutes away. That's where he showers. He then heads to his car to sleep in the record-breaking heat. I waste more gas, but I turn on the air conditioning, and well, there I am struggling. Marie Perez Ruiz says the Red Cross offered the displaced people $500 vouchers for hotels. But that only covered about three nights in the area. And she says the community is facing a housing crisis, making it more difficult for Cesar and the other 11 displaced people to find a place to live. Finding housing, you know, the, the only option for many would be to move out of, of the community. And that, that's displacement, just because there's no housing available. That's why she says she's reached out to State Senator Melissa Hurtado and County Supervisor Dennis Thompson for help. Senator Hurtado says she will do what she can to connect the community with resources that can help. In the meantime, Perez Ruiz says the community will focus on rebuilding. For The California Report, I'm Mari Bolaños. This story was part of the Central Valley News Collaborative, which is supported by the Central Valley Community Foundation with technology and training support by Microsoft. The utility PG&E says it is planning to bury 10,000 miles of power lines. It's a measure aimed at stopping its equipment from causing more catastrophic wildfires, as it has several times over the past half decade. The announcement comes three days after PG&E filed a report with state regulators indicating its equipment might have caused the Dixie Fire currently burning near the town of Paradise, the site of the 2018 campfire. I asked 2017 Tubbs Fire survivor Will Abrams for his take. It does leave a lot of questions. So one of the questions happens to be around the funding to pay for this. Uh, so they've announced a series of huge rate increases. And so uh, to what extent is this really being covered by ratepayers, And um, how are those costs being covered? And the price tag for the undergrounding of power lines being currently floated is 15 to $30 billion. That's equivalent to half of PG&E's value as a company. Turning to immigration, U.S. Senator Alex Padilla is pushing for a pathway to citizenship for undocumented essential workers, including farm workers. The Farm Workforce Modernization Act was at the center of a Senate subcommittee hearing Padilla held yesterday. The legislation would provide a temporary visa and a multi-year path to permanent status for undocumented farm workers. Padilla says in California, that's roughly two-thirds of the agricultural workforce. Farmers in California, not just in California, but especially in California, struggle every year to hire as many farm workers as they need to pick major crops. The bill passed the House of Representatives in March with bipartisan support, but has failed to advance in the Senate. Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about healthcare on the web at chcf.org/voices. 
Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, July 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Caltrans is alerting motorists of a change in construction schedule for the Highway 174 Safety Improvement Project between Ubet and Maple Way in Nevada County. Beginning tonight at 7 p.m., Highway 174 will be reopened to two-way traffic nightly, with one-way traffic control resuming during the daytime construction work only between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. In order to expedite completion of the project this fall, construction work will likely continue seven days per week, although crews are not scheduled to work this Saturday and Sunday. Motorists are advised to anticipate 20-minute delays when passing through the construction zone area. Over the past few weeks, Caltrans and its contractor have been working to widen the west side of Highway 174 throughout the project limits. Paving work for driveways and local street connections on the west side of the highway will continue through the end of this week and into early next week. Driveway and local road access may be intermittently impacted for 30 minutes at a time when paving work is occurring. The $27.1 million safety project, which began last August, is realigning several curves, widening shoulders, adding a southbound left-turn pocket at Greenhorn Access Road, and improving the clear recovery zone for errant vehicles to regain control. Finally, a local note before moving to the weather. Tonight's Nevada City City Council meeting has been canceled. In regional weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight mostly clear with a low around 66. Tomorrow, sunny and hot with a high near 97. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 49. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 86. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement for the Truckee-Tahoe area due to wildfire smoke causing poor air quality. Smoke, predominantly from the Tamarack, Dixie, and Bootleg wildfires, continues to bring hazy skies along with poor air quality to our region. The worst conditions remain immediately downwind of fires. Smoke and haze will continue to be an issue as long as these fires are burning actively. If you are in an area with poor air quality, you are advised to limit outdoor activity as much as possible. For the latest air quality information, you can visit fire.airnow.gov. And finally, for our listeners in the Valley, Sacramento, and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 59 degrees. Tomorrow will be sunny and hot with a high near 101. Next up, Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, followed by Bravehearts. This week, Jamal Walker shares his journey and how he became Community Relations Coordinator for the City of Grass Valley. Hi, 
Hi, I'm Christina Abkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House. Hospitality House is a year-round emergency homeless shelter for the general homeless community in Nevada County. Now on to the needs of the shelter for this week are blankets and sheets, twin size, new pillows, bottled water, bras, all sizes, men's underwear, boxers, sizes medium, large, and extra large, women's underwear, sizes small, medium, and large, shampoo and conditioner, travel size, men's and women's deodorant, duffel bags, and backpacks. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place, located in the Brunswick Basin, past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Part three of Jamal Walker talking about bringing more unity and compassion to our Grass Valley community. Well, I interact with everyone involved with the police department as well as, I should be clear that my position officially runs through um, the city of Grass Valley. So okay. I'm employed by the city of Grass Valley, but I work under Alex Gamblegard through Grass Valley um, Police Department. So I'm engaging with all different sectors of the city and the community. And that position that you're speaking of and pairing an officer with a mental health worker has now happened and has been up and running for about three months now, I believe. Grass Valley Police Department applied for a grant through the CalVIP program and received that grant to be able to pair a social worker with a, an officer full-time to respond to mental health cases and issues. And what they are doing, to the best of my knowledge right now, is that they actually are a team that is going out and working specifically with our homeless members of our community right now. So that's that's their focus, that's what ah, they do. They go out okay. and engage on a daily basis with members of our community who are dealing with homelessness and help to get them the services that they need both around mental health but also around helping people to, of course, get at least temporary housing and get them in connection with all of the wraparound services that our community provides to help them not only end the cycle of, of homelessness, but to get them to a place where they can start to become or return to being full, productive members of society which many of them are or were. So right. I'm glad you exactly. pointed that out. You know, I recently spoke with Free and they said, you can't believe the resumes of some of these folks that right. are now living on the streets. And, and I've spoken with a few of them myself. How do you interact with homeless people? 
I've been recently doing some work with Spirit House and talking about what projects they're working on in, in coordination with Hospitality House to provide more housing. I'm also uh, just recently become a part of the, the board for Hospitality House, so I'm getting to see much more of what's happening there in, in terms of the work that's being done and being able to surely take more part in that. I am actually just beginning my own video series about what I'm calling the many faces of homelessness mm -hmm. in our county. Uh, so I'll be uh, talking not only with interviewing people who are experiencing homelessness right now, and, and the goal of that is to show, again, like it says in the title, the many faces, being able to talk with people who uh, maybe this is the first time they found themselves in this situation. Uh, maybe they had a catastrophic illness that they couldn't pay for that landed them in this situation. Talking to um, members of our community who maybe have been in this situation for a while because of long-lasting life circumstances. Sometimes it's generational poverty that people are dealing with that has them in this situation. Some people find themselves in that situation. Uh, they were doing just fine. They raised family and kids, had a home, and then they lose a job and then get sick and then have nowhere to turn and find themselves in that situation. And so that's how I will be interacting with everybody. I'm lining up all of those uh, interviews as we speak. And then also interviewing people who are frontline workers, helping people get the services that they need so that they can talk about what are some of the issues that they're seeing come up and trying to get people the services that they need and what does homelessness look like to them being frontline people talking to the directors of these programs and what are the things that they're seeing as they're gathering all this information and data through all of the different wraparound services that we have so the hope is to help to foster more unity and compassion for what homelessness looks like thank you for joining us today our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. My across-the-street neighbor, who doesn't live here yet but built a barn, has left a sprinkler on for 14 hours. I want to turn it off, but I don't want to interrupt something he might be doing on purpose. Or, frankly, get yelled at. If someone came over here and turned a sprinkler off, I'd probably feel violated. He's watering his front yard, which is all dry grass, cut low, thank heavens, and a few odd plantings of short conifers. One hour would have sufficed to wet it down and keep it alive. He might be reseeding or something, but 14 hours seems excessive even for that. I don't have his number, and I regularly forget his name, which is embarrassing, but there you have it. The porousness of my brain these days is another story. What would you do in this case? There isn't a water police yet, and if there were, I would be loath to phone them. I can't possibly call the sheriff. It's one of those long, low-arcing sprays that goes in one direction and then comes back again, making the famous ticking noise that sprinklers make. Since I don't know where his hose bib is, trying to shut it off is going to get me very wet. 
but it's hella hot already, so that isn't such a problem. It might feel great. We're supposed to be using 20% less water than last year and are going to be fined if we don't. I'm in full agreement with this necessity, but don't know how to measure either what last year's was or how much we're using now. I also share a water bill with two other people, though I pay most of it in the summer since I have a garden. I did buy us buckets to shower with so we could save the runoff water and use it for plants and toilet flushing, and I know we're all flushing less than we used to. I'm no saint, though. One of my drip systems is completely silent, and a few months ago I left it on overnight, not remembering. Now I set an alarm on my phone and also leave an outside light on to remind me. Meanwhile, bomber planes are flying over the house today. At 6 a.m., the Frenchtown fire, 40 miles away, was 90 acres and 25% contained. I'm on the flight path from where planes refuel and any northwestern blazes. It reminds me of World War II movies and one of my older friends describing her youth in London during the Blitz. Not the same terror as being strafed myself, of course, but still nerve-wracking. The climate chaos we're facing now is indeed like a war, requiring alertness and sacrifices, like getting used to the smell in the bathroom and watching my unwatered pear tree die at the edge of the yard, and wearing masks. These are peanuts compared to most of the world, and I think we'll look ridiculously puny in another year when we're facing food shortages from the Central Valley and more of our towns have burned not to mention having power shutoffs on 105-degree days and dealing with the next pandemic. I think I'd better go turn off that sprinkler. I'll leave the guy a note. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That wraps up our newscast for tonight, Thursday, July 22nd. We get support from Alpine Aviation since 1990, offering chartered and scenic flights with personalized schedules and destinations, plus flight instruction and aircraft rentals. Located at the Nevada County Airport off Loma Rica Road in Grass Valley. FlyAlpine.com And Harmony Books of Nevada City locally owned for over 25 years next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. Coming up at 6.30, Martin Webb brings us the Climate Report, and then at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. Have a great evening. <laughs>